This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Sixty years ago this week, John F. Kennedy and his wife Jackie were traveling in an open-top car as part of a presidential motorcade through Dallas, Texas. From that point on, my life changed. This is Clint Hill, a former Secret Service agent who was in the car behind the president on November the 22nd, 1963. Now, all of a sudden, I heard an explosive noise over my right shoulder. And I saw the president grab at his throat and start to fall to his left. As he explains to my colleague David Smith here, Clint jumped out of the car he was traveling in and ran towards the president. Mrs. Kennedy then started to get up on the trunk. I grabbed a hold of her when I got up on top of the car and helped her get back into the back seat. As they sped off to rush President Kennedy to hospital, Clint gestured to fellow Secret Service agents with a thumbs-down motion that the situation was grave. One o'clock, the doctor, who I guess was this most senior, said uh, the president's dead and there's nothing more we can do. It was years before Clint felt ready to speak about what he remembered of that day, but he now believes he has an obligation to do it. I know what happened, and they could say whatever they want to say. They'd have to prove it to me with factual information. Nobody so far has done that. The 91-year-old is worried that when he and the others who were there that day die, the numerous alternative explanations surrounding the death of the president will become accepted truth. Are they going to just accept what has been said and all this theoretical stuff? Why did the assassination of JFK spawn dozens of conspiracy theories that have lasted decades? Is there a reason why Americans are quick to believe their government is covering something up? And despite multiple examples of conspiracies turning dangerous, politicians today, including John F. Kennedy's own nephew, using conspiracy theories for political gain. I'm Jonathan Friedland, columnist at The Guardian, and this is Politics Weekly America. Yes, well, there have been conspiracy theories in the United States or really in North America even before there was a United States. Um, Catherine Olmsted is a professor of history at the University of California at Davis. She's also an author who wrote a book called Real Enemies, where she explores why the connection between conspiracy theories and American politics grew stronger in the 20th century. 
the conspiracy theories before the 20th century tended to be focused more on marginalized communities, on Catholics or on African Americans or uh, Mormons, and, and of course, Jews. What happens in the 20th century is there start to be more and more conspiracy theories about the U.S. government and that the U.S. government itself is out to undermine the will of the people. And so in my book, I trace the starting right after World War I, where there are these theories that it was arms manufacturers and bankers who tricked the United States into entering World War I. And then uh, I look at Pearl Harbor conspiracy theories, the belief that Franklin Roosevelt tricked the United States into entering the the Second World War. And then uh, I arrive at the Kennedy uh, assassination conspiracy theories in the 1960s. And I take it all the way up in the book to uh, initially to 9-11 conspiracy theories. And then I added an epilogue about the Trump years. And plenty of material for that epilogue, <laughs> I can imagine. No shortage. Um, but I'm very struck by you saying that this goes back even to the days when there was not yet a United States of America, that in the early colonies that would form the United States, you can find the conspiracy theory and that way of thinking. And I remember the, and it's a book that's often quoted, The Paranoid Style in American Politics by Richard Hofstadter, which sort of touches on some of this, a sort of bit of a classic. What is it about America that goes back even to before the founding of the Republic that makes conspiracy thinking an American way of thinking. Hofstetter's theory, and I think it's a good one, was that American conspiracy theories reflect the fact that the United States is a country of immigrants and that there was a lot of migration. There was a lot of immigration, people moving around and changes in status from generation to generation. And so that this uncertainty about whether you are going to keep your financial security, uh, about whether your family would move away, um, and also just the general uncertainty about what makes an American led to anxiety in uh, even before the United States was formed and then afterwards about uh, who should we let in? Have we let in enemies? Are they really and truly people like us? So that that particular kind of paranoid style in America led to these particularly American conspiracy theories. Let's go, though, to the conspiracy that is, uh, in a way, 60 years old this week, because it begins uh, and its origins are the assassination of John F. Kennedy. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. Our colleague on The Guardian, Steve Rose, recently wrote about the consequences of that killing and said the assassination of JFK was probably the genesis of the post-truth, fake news, don't trust the experts, do your own research, brand of media scepticism and alternative information ecosystems. Would you agree with that assessment? 
I, I would, actually. I think that's a very good assessment. There were conspiracy theorists before the JFK assassination, but the JFK assassination really mainstreams conspiracy theories and inspires many ordinary people, including for the first time, large numbers of, of women to start doing their own research, to distrust the government's explanation and instead study all of the government reports. Ironically, they distrust the government, but they study the government reports. Hmm. And um, sometimes to travel to Dallas, to Dealey Plaza, where the assassination occurred themselves, to investigate the assassination and come up with their own theory because they find the government's theory so um, unsatisfactory. And fascinating, you say it was women in particular. Yes. So this is the the first time uh, in U.S. history where there are these large numbers of women. And this is obviously before the Internet, but they're able to find each other by having uh, forums in the local libraries, uh, by writing letters to the editor, um, setting up these informal study groups. They don't like to be called conspiracy theorists. They call themselves assassination researchers. And they set up these these study groups in each other's homes and study the, the Warren Commission report was the official government uh, report on the assassination and all of the appendices that have the depositions and the maps. And they they would uh, look at maps of the sewer system in Dallas and try and figure out where they thought there would be a second gunman hiding. So there's a, a tremendous amount of popular interest in these conspiracy theories that there really hadn't been for uh, the conspiracy theories in the past. This week in November, 60 years ago, in 1963, was the week of the assassination. Obviously, America was absolutely reeling from the shock. But how quickly did people start to question what they were being told then on the news and in the newspapers rather than in history books about the assassination? How quickly did conspiracy theorizing around this assassination begin? Well, it happened right after the accused assassin was himself murdered on television. There is Leon. He's been shot. He's been shot. Lee Oswald has been shot. That murder on a Sunday after Kennedy was killed on a Friday uh, made a lot of people wonder, was there some sort of conspiracy that uh, Oswald was murdered to uh, to cover up? Yeah, that's part of the reason that the um, the new president, Lyndon Johnson, decided to appoint a commission to investigate the assassination as he wanted to quell these rumors. Uh, he was particularly worried that it might turn out that there was communist involvement in the assassination. I can't uh, honestly say that I've ever been completely relieved of the fact that uh, there might have been international connections. Possibly Fidel Castro of Cuba possibly the Soviets. And uh, he was worried about being forced into some situation that would lead to World War III. So he appointed a commission to immediately come up with an investigation, a report that he hoped from the beginning would say there was one gunman so that then the country could move on. And, and that report did, you know, to some degree lead fewer people to believe in conspiracy theories. But uh, just a few years later, because of Watergate, uh, the numbers of people who believe in a conspiracy theory, who refuse to believe the, the government report, they rise substantially. 
And just be, it's fascinating you hear you saying that Lyndon Johnson himself, in a way, was wondering what the truth of the assassination was and wondering if there was communist involvement, as if he too is one of those people who is, you know, doubting the official version. But I don't think that they are me or anyone else who's always absolutely sure of every uh, thing that might have motivated Oswald or others that uh, could have been involved. But for, for, for regular people, and because this famously did involve regular people who started speculating, theorising, what was it that didn't add up exactly about the assassination? You've said that it's, you know, the assassination, the murder by Jack Ruby of the suspected assassin, Lee Harvey Oswald, that gets people wondering, is there something being covered up here? But what else about the assassination had people thinking, mm, this doesn't look right? Well, I think on a broad level... Uh, a lot of people believed that you couldn't have some 24-year-old loser like Lee Harvey Oswald assassinate the president of the United States. It just didn't add up. It was not – he was not um, an important enough person. It wasn't a big enough plot. And they wanted – they believed there must be somebody else. There must be some state actors involved in order for this – to be successful in order for our president to be assassinated. I mean, that's that's sort of like the, the view from 30,000 feet. At a more granular level, people believed that there were details of the assassination that didn't add up. So how on earth could Oswald have made those shots? How many shots were fired? Some people heard more than three shots. Some people heard the shots come from different places. And Oswald himself had a very checkered history. He had been a Marine, and then he had defected to the Soviet Union. Then he'd come back to the United States. And so there were just so many threads that one could pull on as one studied this event and say like, well, to me, it seems like this is an important fact that the government has overlooked. And was it also just a sign of the times that the culture, the society was changing in that period? And I'm thinking of these numbers research from the Pew Research Centre showing that during Kennedy's presidency, public trust in the federal government was very high, you know, at about 75%. Most people, three quarters of Americans, trusted the federal government. But by the middle of the 70s, obviously that's now 10 years on after the assassination, the number had gone below 40%. And I'm just thinking that this would have been the period of the Vietnam War. This would have been the period of, of kind of teenage rebellion and, and the hippie movement and the 60s and so on. I wonder if it was really about flaws in the actual sort of Kennedy case or whether it was really about just a society that gen in general was becoming less trusting of its elders, as it were, of authority. Well, I think you're right. I think that's the bigger uh, issue is the general loss of trust in government. Uh, when Kennedy took office, as you say, three out of four Americans said they trusted the, the federal government to do the right thing most of the time. He was able, and then Lyndon Johnson was able to use that trust to pass a lot of transformative legislation in the United States. But the Vietnam War and the U.S. government's um, deceptions about the war then started to erode that trust. The American people cannot and should not be asked to support a policy which involves the overriding issues 
of war and peace unless they know the truth about that policy. It's hard to pull out, though, how much of that is cause and effect. Like, did the doubts about the Kennedy assassination lead to more distrust or did the distrust lead to more doubts about the Kennedy assassination? But they're both definitely happening at the same time. I'm thinking about the government and politicians' attempts to manage these theories as they went. You've mentioned that uh, Lyndon Johnson set up uh, the commission of inquiry into what had happened under the then Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Earl Warren. This committee laboured 10 months, took testimony from hundreds of witnesses, then brought forth a document close to a thousand pages. And yet that actually, far from putting to bed some of the questions, uh, actually seemed to raise more. And, you know, stand-up comedians at the time were joking that, you know, the Warren Commission report was a, you know, a best-selling work of fiction. Then 10 years on, or 13 years on, a fresh inquiry was set up by the House of Representatives Select Committee on Assassinations, responding to all this conspiracy talk. And it then concluded in 1979 that Oswald was probably not the only culprit, and that the assassination, again, probably was a conspiracy. I mean, it it doesn't seem as if Washington, broadly defined, handled this problem either very consistently or very effectively. No, not at all. And in fact, that House Assassinations Committee report was soon discredited because they relied on a piece of information that that turned out to be not what they thought it was. They thought they had uncovered audio recording of the actual assassination, and it, it turned out not to be the case. So there were at the least conflicting messages from the U.S. government over the years. And in addition to that that House Assassinations Committee, there, w- there was another investigation a few years before that headed by Senator Frank Church, sometimes called the Church Committee. This was an investigation in 1975 and 76 into abuses of power by the FBI and the CIA. And that committee investigation also led to a lot more questions because as Americans learned that Kennedy had overseen a program, at least his CIA had tried to kill Fidel Castro by using uh, mob figures. Was it possible that that plot to kill Fidel Castro had led to Kennedy's death? There are those three major U.S. government investigations, all of them unearthing a lot of information, but none of it completely convincing to uh, large majorities of the American public. I mean, you might think, okay, that's the 60s and 70s. The 70s was just, you know, the immediate period after the assassination. But this continues and continued and continues in America with almost every decade bringing a new set of questions or a new expression of the doubts, uh, often in the culture. And so famously Oliver Stone's movie JFK in 1991. What's wrong, sir? Boss, the has been shot. Dallas five minutes ago. Oh, no. Where Kevin Costner starred. I mean, it's a, it's a fiction. Oliver Stone you know, wrote it as a script, but he draws on real people and real events. And many people thought, OK, well, that's now the truth. Um, and it prompts uh, the JFK Records Act in 1992, where uh, the government then ordered the US National Archive to collect all official records of the assassination, release them to the public. Perhaps yet another attempt to try and knock this on the head. But actually, uh, it seems that this, it only just sort of ignited this obsession with the case. 
I mean, is it fair to say this is now the JFK assassination has now almost entered the kind of marrow of American culture, and partly because it has sparked a community, a, a kind of movement of conspiracy theorists, that it is the sort of origin event of what is now a kind of tribe in American life. Yes, I suppose you could say that. I mean, that's one of the appeal of conspiracy theories is that uh, it helps uh, build community. Uh, It's still true even with some of the most uh, bizarre right-wing theories in America today, like the QAnon conspiracy theory, that there's this, you know, gang of satanic pedophiles who uh, control the Democratic Party. Part of the appeal of QAnon, as with the JFK assassination, is that you can create this community with other people who believe that, and it makes you feel like you belong. It's great you mentioned QAnon because that does bring us right up to now and, and, and a big difference because obviously Donald Trump has slightly indulged at the very least QAnon. He's referred to it and said, well, they seem to like me and therefore that's good. And it does suggest a change because the kind of early Kennedy assassination theories were suggesting that they were sort of speaking truth to power, that they, the conspiracy theorists were monitoring those with authority and holding them to account. And now it seems as if something's flipped, that you actually have campaigners and politicians who are using the doubt that conspiracy theory traffics in as a means of winning support, building a base, holding on or winning power. That's quite a switch. Yes, it is. I mean, there are precedents. Uh, There would be Senator Joseph McCarthy in the 1950s who used conspiracy theories about communists in the government. There is that small, closely knit group of administration Democrats who are now the complete prisoners and under the complete domination of the bureaucratic, communistic Frankenstein which they themselves have created. To gain power. But... Certainly uh, today, there are far more examples of that in the U.S. Congress and, of course, former President Trump. This is a fraud on the American public. This is an embarrassment to our country. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. Examples of of people who are uh, running for office and holding office in part by encouraging their followers to believe in conspiracy theories. Yeah, I mean, that has to be the cue for a mention of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Democratic presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is facing criticism for spreading false claims about COVID-19. He repeated a conspiracy theory that the virus was, quote, ethnically targeted against certain groups while sparing Jewish and Chinese people. Nephew to the slain John F. Kennedy and son of the again slain Robert Kennedy assassinated in 68, who's running for the 2024 in presidential election, initially positioned himself as a Democrat, now talking about being an independent. Uh, He's run a whole lot of conspiracy theories about COVID and so on, but also reviving yet again the theory that the CIA played some part in the assassination of his uncle and that Lee Harvey Oswald was a kind of asset or agent of the CIA. I mean, in some ways, this thing, it feels like it's come full circle. And one does imagine what JFK would make of what's happened or what is happening with his nephew. There's a 60-year cover-up 
the, you know, the Warren Commission was run by Alan Dulles, who was the head of the CIA, who my uncle fired. Yes, I can't imagine that JFK would view this as a, as a positive development, but... Certainly, the, the the theory that the CIA killed Kennedy is one of the most popular and enduring of the of the many conspiracy theories uh, about his death. And the notion that COVID was sort of cooked up as some kind of plot—I mean, that would fit with all the conspiracy theories that you chart going back over the century in your book. Right. Well, that's an example of a conspiracy theory that can have uh, deadly consequences by encouraging people not to get vaccinated. So we heard uh, at the start, uh, uh, Catherine, of the podcast from Clint Hill, who was uh, one of the Secret Service agents who tried to protect John and Jackie Kennedy on November the 22nd, 1963. He's uh, authored a book on, he's working on a book on his memories of the day, in part because he says he's worried that when he dies, the facts will recede and their place will be taken by conspiracy theories once there are no more living witnesses. And that worries him. Do you yourself, besides being a historian of this as a phenomenon, do you yourself, in terms of not looking at the past but at the future, worry about where conspiracy theories, which, as you've said, are so embedded in American political culture, do you worry about where they go next? Uh, Yes, I do. I have to say I started researching for my book, Real Enemies, during the administration of George W. Bush. And though I did not at all believe the 9-11 conspiracy theories, I could understand why uh, some people would be attracted to them. And I found that to make them more interesting uh, as as a subject of study. But I have to say, as the years have gone on, I I have found it to be more and more depressing to study conspiracy theories because they do seem to be more widespread and uh, more damaging and potentially deadly every year. Catherine Olmsted, thanks so much for joining me on Politics Weekly America. Thank you for having me. You can find a link to both Catherine's book, Real Enemies, and Clint Hill's new book, Five Days in November, as well as a link to Clint's interview with our colleague David Smith, on today's episode description on The Guardian website. But for now, it's goodbye. The producer is Daniel Stevens, the executive producer, Maz Ebtahaj. I'm Jonathan Friedland. Thanks, as always, for listening. This is The Guardian. Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y dot com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best in class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.